Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. How's it going? Hey, welcome. We're so glad you're here at Islands. My name is Stephen. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. And so if we've never met, I'm just excited that you're here today. Hey, you know, next weekend is Mother's Day. And so next Sunday, we're going to have a special opportunity for you. So please invite your uh, family, invite your friends. Just, hey, come out on Mother's Day because we're going to be doing professional um, pictures. We have a professional photographer here. He's going to be taking pictures and it can be digitally available to you like within minutes. And so this will be an opportunity for you to bring your family, get a picture made, and we just want to celebrate uh, with you next week. Now, here's the thing. The whole service is not going to be about how awesome you are as a mom. We're still going to celebrate Jesus because um, at the end of the day, we gather in the name of Jesus for the sake of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. But we, we do want to say to you moms, hey, here's a special gift for you. So be sure that you come and you uh, invite a friend. Another thing, real quick, you know, me personally here, I've been the pastor here for you know, over a decade, and I love this church. I mean, I've just here recently just been thinking a lot about uh, how blessed I am to, to be the pastor here, how, you know, a lot, not a lot of guys get to stay at a church for 11 years. They just, they just don't get to stay. They don't, it just doesn't happen, right? There's drama throughout the, and there's been some drama here. Like, don't get me wrong, right? I'm not saying there hadn't been drama. There's been some drama, but like God has just given, given me great people around me and an amazing team, great elders that have just really supported and um, so I'm so blessed to be the pastor here. I'm so blessed to be the guy who God has tapped for this moment and hope it goes on for as long as he'll let me. But one of the things I don't talk a lot about, and it's probably a, a fault of mine, and I look back on my preaching schedule, look back on my teaching, I don't talk enough about, you know, giving and supporting the ministry here. We have other people do that, which is fine. Um, but today, it's kind of my, it's my time. So I want to do that real quick. You know, when you, when you support the ministry here and you support what God's doing here, amazing things happen. And uh, thankfully, so many of you already do that. So I don't pastor a church where I'm like, please, would you please, you know, I don't have to do it because so many of you are mature in your faith. You give and you support the ministry here. And so I just want to tell you, thank you for those of you who support. And for those of you who don't support yet, that's okay. We love you. We're glad you're here. And whenever you're ready, we just encourage people to just set aside a pre-decided percentage and give. We make it easy here to give. You can give. There's a box out in the lobby, a little black box. I've been kind of thinking we should make that box a lot bigger. Anybody think so? You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm just kidding. If you notice, like, we don't pass an offering tray anymore. Like, isn't, you know, that, that, that's something that's changed in my era of ministry from when I started ministry to now. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. And there's all kind of reasons for that. But we still make it easy to give. One of them is a box out in the lobby. Another way to give is uh, you can give at islandschristian.org, and you can automate your giving there. And that way you kind of set it and forget it. Um, and then you can, if you're kind of like, yeah, I want to support, I want to do something now, you can actually text uh, ICC Give to 77977. And all that you give supports all the ministries of our church. So in other words, you know, sometimes people are confused about how money works at a church, but basically we kind of operate like any other uh, nonprofit organization. So we have a budget and there's a spending plan. And so when money comes in, it goes to things like Momentum Student Ministry, Children's Ministry, and, uh, you know, adult ministry. It goes to 
personnel, salaries. It goes to facilities. I mean, you guys like air conditioner? Who likes air conditioner? You're going to love air conditioner come July, right? And so, like, this is all how that, that's how that works. It goes and it gets spread around to all these uh, budgetary uh, responsibilities. So thank you to those of you who support, those of you who give. Um, our ministry is effective and productive because of your generosity. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this next installment of Unoffendable. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the wonderful people. Um, I'm grateful that you've given me this platform for this season. And I pray, God, that uh, we will be found faithful by you, that in generations to come, the work we've done here will be reverberating still in the hearts of men and women, that they'll be... Um, the gospel and the story that Jesus loves them will still be announced because of the work we've done here. Lord, we, we thank you so much for the generosity of believers in this church, those who attend online, those who listen to the podcast, those who uh, worship here in the room. We're just thankful for, for everyone who, who sacrifices for this ministry so that your name can be um, lifted up. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, this series has been about becoming unoffendable, and we're in week four. How are we doing? How's it, is anybody getting better being unoffendable? Is anybody, anybody getting like, are we getting there? And nobody's raising their hands. They're like, nah. Like, I told a friend of mine through social media, I was like, I may preach on this the rest of the year. I'm being challenged so much by it. Like, just my own life, you know, as I'm writing these messages, I'm like, dude, I stink at this. Like, I'm not very mature in my faith. I've got to grow up. And so, this series has been about becoming unoffendable and keeping anger from taking us over and kind of harboring inside of us. Now, in this series, what we've not said, and this is important to say this again, what we've not said is that we should never get angry. Like, that's just not realistic. If I sit up here and said, hey, you should never get angry, then you would be like, dude, you are out of touch with reality, okay? You clearly don't have, you know, a real life, okay? So I'm never, I'm never going to, the Bible doesn't say, and I'm not telling you, hey, don't get angry. That's just not possible. Actually, what we've said in this series is that anger is dangerous for us. It's dangerous for us. Being offended and holding on to that offense is dangerous for us. Uh, and I didn't even know this. I've been reading through a book called Unoffendable uh, to prep for this series. But back in the 90s, a guy named, a guy named John Brevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. Anybody ever heard of this book? I, I, I had never heard of this book called The Bait of Satan. And guess what it's about? The Bait of Satan is about being a person who's easily offended. And he says, your ease to be offended is a bait of Satan. It, it's like, it's basically the lure that traps us. And so what we've said in this series is that, hey, being offended and getting angry has the potential to hurt us and hurt others. Now, here's the pushback that I get as we're working through this series, and I'm sure you've been thinking about this. Here's the pushback that we get. Well, Stephen, I get it. We need to be unoffendable. That's awesome. But uh, what about sin and people who are committing sin? And what about injustice in our world? And what about evil in our world? Like, don't we need to, like, stamp up against that? Don't we need to, like, get angry about that? Don't we need to, like, do something about what's happening in our world and all the evil and all the injustice? Like, that's the, that's the sentiment. Like, what about the injustice and what about the, the evil? Should, and then this is the term you bring up. Shouldn't we have righteous anger towards injustice and evil? 
Let me ask that question again. Shouldn't we have righteous anger, anger against injustice and evil? Now, we haven't talked about righteous anger yet in this series because what most of us kind of operate like is like, well, righteous anger is a separate category. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't get angry for you know, bad reasons, but righteous anger is different. I mean, what we think is, hey, something needs to be done, something evil's taking place, something bad's taking place, some injustice is taking place, and I'm going to be angry about that. And it's completely normal to feel this way, to feel like, hey, there's injustice, there's sin, and it demands a response, and my response is going to be anger. And my anger is righteous because of their evil and their injustice. Now, that's kind of how our brain thinks, and we think it's okay, and we think it's okay, but that's, that's based on a couple misconceptions. So if you're kind of in that camp of like, well, we need to have righteous anger, Stephen, here's a couple misconceptions. The first misconception is this, that somehow God has provided an exception in his word. That somehow God has provided an exception in his word, which he hasn't. In all the places that he has told us to not be angry, it's not like he was trying to say, well, don't get angry unless you feel like someone has done something really unjust or really evil or really sinful. It doesn't say that. But we kind of want it to, right? But it, nowhere, there's no to our anger. There's no like, well, all anger and put away all malice. I know I've told you, but when someone's really done something bad, then you can have righteous anger. Nowhere in the text that exception. The is we tend to think that if we don't get angry at injustice, if we don't get angry, then that means we don't care. And that's just not That's not true. That's a product of our society and our culture, right? Outrage mentality, that I only prove I care if I'm outraged and I'm protesting and I'm burning something down. But that's not true. That's a, that's a false choice, that I have to prove I care by being angry. What I want us to do today is explore some alternatives to these misconceptions. And to talk a little more about this by looking at a psalm. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start with Psalm uh, ver, uh, chapter 37, Psalm 37, verse 7 through 15. And we're going to read um, this psalmist because they're dealing with just this very question. Well, what about the anger? And what about the evil? And what about the injustice that's happening in our world? Uh, what about the, the stuff that's happening? Shouldn't we be angry about that? Verse 7, it says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But, the swords, but their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. So throw verse 7 back up there real quick. If you look back at your Bible. In verse 7, it says, uh, Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, 
when they carry out their wicked schemes. Man, it is completely normal. Have you ever felt this before when you see somebody that you know is a bad person being successful? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is it like, and you're just like, like, oh my gosh, I know you're a bad person. Like, I know, like, I see the things you're doing. Like, I, I'm not judging your heart. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing your behavior. You know what I mean? Like, like you've got some evil behaviors, and yet I see you experiencing success. And what happens is inside of us is some anger rises up in us, and some angst rises up in us. And then like, we begin, and this is why the psalmist says in verse 7, hey, do not fret. Like, do not get angry about this. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, part of the reason we're angry is, uh, is not, it's not altogether like, oh, that's so bad what they're doing, and God... You know, I can't believe they're doing that and so offensive. Some of the reason that we're angry, angry is because God's not getting them. Okay, this is a little bit of a, like, hang with me, okay? Whether we recognize it or not, many of us operate under a worldview that says, if I do good and I be good, God will do good by me. Come on, anybody want to be honest? Whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you're willing to admit it or not, we kind of operate, it's just kind of ingrained in our heart. Our hearts are designed for religion. You know, like the, the fleshly heart's designed for religion. It's just kind of like it beats naturally for religion. And religion says, if I perform well, I get well. And then our, and our entire corporate system, our entire job, our economy, everything is based on that, right? Everything's like, if you have a job and you don't do well, guess what they do? They fire you. Okay, they fire you. If you do well, what do they do? They give you a reward. They give you a bonus. They give you a raise. And so we kind of take that same mindset into the way we operate with God, and we go, well, if, if I'm doing right, you know, I go to church, and I try, not to, uh, I try to avoid the big sins, and I don't do the bad stuff, and, and I try to give some money away, and I try to be a good person, and look at my life. And then you look over here at Jim, and Jim's cheating on his wife, and he's running around, and he never gives any money away. He's super selfish and self-centered, and he falls backwards into money. Any, anybody? It's, what is happening there, that fretting, if you get honest, that fretting and that anger is really not about like, oh, they're doing evil things. It's really actually that you're not, you don't think you're getting your fair shake. God's not holding up to his end of the bargain. And, and that's, that's a deception your heart's believing about how the world works and how God works. And God's never, like, that's not how the world works, and that's not how God works. Like, we live in a broken world, and God has never said, hey, if you do right, then I'll just make everything easy for you. I mean, that would be a, that would be a good deal. Who wouldn't take that deal? But he doesn't make that deal with us. And so a lot of times our fretting and our anger at injustice isn't always like so uh, noble and altruistic and based in like, you know, our righteousness. It's really kind of based in our jealousy. And then you think about verse 8. Verse 8 says, uh, let me just read it again. It says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to what? Evil. So, so the psalmist says, hey, refrain from anger. Do not fret. Don't. And so what he's saying here is, hey, whenever you see injustice and evil and terrible things taking place, don't resort to violence. Don't resort to settling the score. Don't resort to violence. Don't resort to settling the score. And, and meaning in a personal way, right? So like you see, you see somebody getting away with something, you think, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to even the scales. I'm going I'm to be God in this moment. And what he's, the reason he's saying 
this is because if you and I decide, hey, I'm going to be God and I'm going to even the scales of what this other person's done or what this other person's doing, then I am going to create more evil in the world. I'm just going to add to the evil quotient. Does it make sense? We don't like it, but this is what it says. So people will tend to think it's okay to hold on to anger and to hold on to offense if someone's really done something evil and that person deserves our anger. But without even going back to our previous passages that we've covered in the previous weeks, these two verses alone, verses 7 and 8, tell us that what God says is best is that even though someone seems to be getting away with something evil, you and I are called to resist letting offense and anger get a hold of us. But you might say, Stephen, and I would hear this from men, but Stephen, something needs to be done. Okay, we agree on that. Like, no one has ever said that that nothing should be done. No one's ever said, hey, there's evil and injustice in the world. Let's just don't do anything because we don't want to take a chance of being angry or being offended. No one's saying that at all. It's It's just this concept that somehow that if we're going to do something, then we have to start with being what? And that's not true. That's just not true. We don't have to start with saying, I'm fed up, enough's enough, we're going to fix this, I'm so angry. No, we actually start from a different place. We start from the place, and we said this in week one, we start from the place of love. Yeah, it's so hard, right? It's so difficult, because, because what it requires of me is to say, I believe something better of this person who's exhibiting nothing but evil. It it demands that I say, I believe that through the power of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit and what God can do in anybody's heart and anybody's life, that this person that's doing this evil, that's doing this terrible sin, that's doing this stuff, this person can have a revolutionized life. It demands that I believe that so I can start from a place of love instead of a place of anger. And here's the thing. If I need to be reminded of that, I have this wonderful, wonderful position of standing on the stage, and I can look out across this room right now, and I can start pointing fingers and say, oh, this person over there, that person over there, they used to be far from God. They were like drug users. They were, you know, dealers. They were, they did these terrible things, these terrible things to people, and I know their story, and today, like, they are, like, saved. They are following Jesus. They give of their time, their money, their effort, their energy for other people. I'm, their life is totally revolutionized. Part of the problem is, is we don't actually believe that God does that in people's lives. Because remember, the fruit of a lot of our self-offense is our own self-righteousness. We kind of think we've always been okay. Like, God's kind of been lucky to have me this whole time. I always know when I hit something as a pastor that's like, like pretty good because everybody kind of goes, ha, 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 That's pretty good. Yeah. He's right. We kind we of think, man, I, I've been a, I'm a good person. God's lucky to have me. We, we don't actually believe that he had to revolutionize our heart. He had to turn us, like just because he didn't have to turn us away from maybe selling drugs or dealing drugs or doing terrible things with other people, but he still had to turn me away from my greed and my self-centeredness, my selfishness. He had to turn me away from my propensity to, to anger, my propensity to, to always uh, being the, the victim. He had to turn me away from all these other, that in his eyes are just as evil. He had to revolutionize my heart. Anger does not play a role into battling against injustice and evil. 
The psalmist says that anger only produces more evil and more injustice. You've got to hear me say this. I am not suggesting that we as believers who are trying to follow Jesus just lay down and take evil and injustice in our world. No. We stand up against it. We push back on the darkness. We are the hands and the feet of Christ in our workplaces, in our communities, in our town, in our city. Like we, we don't take injustice and evil and say, well, you know, just these things happen in this world. No, we say, hey, we have, we're bringing the light of Christ into this world and we are going to push back against this darkness, but we are never going to do it from a place of anger and offense and self-righteousness. Because the psalmist says, I'm only adding to the evil quotient. I'm only adding to the evil And come on, watch the news. Have you seen uh, pushing back against what they call as evil? But does it, does it actually solve anything? No. Of evil? Yes. Constructed justice or evil. Think about this for a moment. We are not instructed justice or evil. Think about this for a moment. It was written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Acts. You guys know what I'm talking about? New to the Bible. Basically, everything from Matthew to Revelation. And remember, most of what's in the New Testament are letters written to believers, churches like this, to try to help them know what it means to be a Christian. When it was written, when Jesus lived and when the New Testament was written, um, this was one of the most evil, unjust societies that the world has ever known. Uh, in this society, a husband didn't have to divorce his wife in the Middle Eastern society at this time. He didn't have to divorce his, his wife. You know why? Because he could just kill her. And if you had a son that, I don't know, you just didn't like anymore, or a daughter you just didn't like anymore, you know what you could do? You just kill him. If you had a, you would have a slave if you had any wealth, because slavery was just ubiquitous. It just was everywhere. And so, if you had a slave and the slave didn't do his job, you, there were no laws protecting that slave. You just kill it. I mean, the, the, the poor in that time, people who were seen as poor, like people who were poor and people who were uh, unable to take care of themselves, the poor was seen as fodder for the, um, for the wealthier people to just use as they wanted for sexual reasons, for labor reasons. It didn't matter. Guys, you can't imagine the injustice and evil in the world. can't imagine it. I would dare say way worse than anything we have in our world today. But I'm open to correction. If you're an you know, expert in history. And yet, when you read the New Testament, and this is the, the setting of these writings. When you read it, you never have Jesus, Peter, Paul, Jude. You, ne you never have any of them, any of, the, any of the writers writing these letters. You never have, have them say, at all this evil and at all this injustice is having, you guys need to get angry. We need to get some meetings going on. We need to get fired up. We need to get something done about this. You never find it, not even once. Not even once. And listen, I'm open. again, I'm open to correction, please. Like you go home today and you're like, oh, Stephen, you missed this right here, man. It says, you know, get angry at all the injustice and the evil taking place. I'm standing.
I've read it multiple times, actually. In the New Testament, do the writers tell us righteous anger? Righteous anger at the about it. You see, the dip, it's difficult. Kim said that from the crowd. And Dallas Willard said, angry as Anger has not been taught out of us. Anger has not been taught out of us. Anger has not been taught out of us. You see, we naturally come into this world wanting things to be whose way? Have you ever seen a five-year-old not get their way? How does that normally look? Does it normally look like them sitting down with you explaining, hey, this is what you've done, and I want to explain, Mom, that I, did, I wanted cookies for lunch, and you gave me <laughs> celery and carrots. And I want to have a conversation with you about this, because I feel like maybe if we got together and we had a conversation about the cookies as opposed to the celery, have you ever seen a five-year-old do this when they don't get cookies for lunch? What do they typically do? They flip tables, man. They flip tables. I mean, literally, it's the chairs because they're not strong enough to flip the table. But if a five-year-old was strong enough to flip a table, he'd throw the dining room table up. I'm tired of this celery, right? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're naturally, we're naturally born into us to kind of want, we want things to be the way we want them. And when they don't happen, then we naturally get angry. And this is why Dallas Willard said that the reason so many of us are walking around angry is we've never had it taught out of us. And the person who teaches it out of us is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is literally our teacher. He's our leader. He shows us. He, he shows us how to surrender to him and let him lead us and so that we can see the evil and we can see the injustice around us, but we can be taught by him on how to respond to it through the Holy Spirit so that we're not just taking it and laying down and ignoring it and putting our heads in the sand and acting like it's not real, but neither are we falling for the lie and the bait of Satan that we're supposed to get angry and offended at it. We can be instructed by Jesus on how to respond. You know, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., after the bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, he was blamed unfairly by the authorities of the time, uh, predominantly white authorities of the time. Uh, he was blamed for there not being a settlement. He basically was just wore out in the papers, that it was all his fault that there wasn't a settlement for the bus boycott in 1955. In his autobiography, he wrote about that experience of being blamed for something that was not his fault. Listen to what he said. He said, that Monday, I went home with a heavy heart. I was weighed down by a terrible sense of guilt, remembering that on two or three occasions, I had allowed myself to become angry and indignant. I had spoken hastily and resentfully, yet I knew that this was no way to solve a problem. Whew. You must not harbor anger, I admonished myself. You must be willing to suffer the anger of the opponent and yet not return anger. You must not become bitter. No matter how emotional your opponents are, you must be calm. Now, when Dr. King wrote those words, he was a grown adult. He had developed and learned and grown. But he had to be taught how to respond that way. He had to be taught how to regret getting angry. He had to be taught how to, you know, be determined to stay in control of myself and work for justice and work to remove evil, but at the same time, not 
be given to anger. In the same autobiography, he tells us about an experience when he was 14 years old. When he was 14, he didn't quite have the same tools and resources that he would have later in his life. Listen to this. When I was 14, I traveled from Atlanta to Dublin with a dear teacher of mine, Mrs. Bradley, to participate in an oratorical contest. We were on a bus returning to Atlanta. Along the way, some white passengers boarded the bus, and the white driver ordered, ordered us to get up and give the whites our seats. We didn't move quickly enough to suit him, so he began cursing us. I intended to stay right in that seat, but Mrs. Bradley urged me up, saying we had to obey the law. We stood up in the aisle for 90 miles to Atlanta. That night will never leave my memory. It was the angriest I have ever been in my life. So at 14 years old, he had an experience where anger took a hold of him. And somewhere between that experience and becoming a civil rights activist who decided we are going to be nonviolent and we're going to respond with love to the violence we receive, he was taught, he was taught. That 14-year-old boy could have just as easily grown up to be someone who burned buildings down. And maybe justifiably so. But he was taught, he was taught that this is the way, the better way of our God. And though this injustice and this evil is taking place around us, we are called to battle it, but not with anger and not with offense. And I think one of the things that Dr. King learned and what you and I can learn is that when we see injustice and evil in our world, our job is not to get angry and, you know, hold anger meetings, but our job is simply this. You and I must put our faith in action. We must simply put our faith in action every single day. Specifically, faith in a God who abhors evil, who hates injustice. Faith that this God will bring light, justice, and goodness in this world. I can trust that he will have his way in the end, and that in the end, evil will be eradicated, and that injustice will be pushed away, and justice will prevail. My job is only this, to obey him daily, to put my faith into practice. Listen to verses 9 through 15 again of verse 37. For those who are evil will be what? Destroyed. Say it aloud. Destroyed. Don't you want a world where evil's no longer allowed? I want a world like that. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at them, laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright. But the swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. You see what God needs me to do? Is not go out and wage war out of anger and offense at injustice and evil. What he needs me to do is to be taught by him. 
And one of the things he's going to teach me is that in the end, he wins. And that there's a victory coming and, and that, that, that I am just called to be faithful to him. That he will take care of the evil and injustice. That he will ultimately bring it to an end. I know that sometimes we tend to think that God needs us to defend him. Anybody ever feel that way? God needs me to defend him. I want to tell you, as someone who has been given permission to speak on his behalf in this moment, God does not need you to defend him. Amen. Right? He's a big God. He laid out the stars in the universe. He knows what he's doing. Do you think the person that you want to defend God to can't... You don't think God can like look at that person and say, all right, we're done. You think he has that capacity? Of course he does. God doesn't need us to defend him, stand up for him. Because here's the thing. What happens is when we decide we're going to defend God and stand up for God, do we tend to do that with gentleness and meekness or we tend to do that with pride and arrogance? Anybody? Want to get honest for a second? When we decide we're going to stand up for God and let the world know, man, we are all like the opposite of Jesus. (laughs) When I see those people, I want to say, can you tell me about the God you're standing up for? Because I don't know if we're on the same God. We don't tend to stand up for God and gentleness and meekness. If we, if we were ever going to stand up for God and defend God, you know how we do it? By being obedient to his ways, living out our faith and action every day with a confidence that he is under control. I know it may seem to you like he isn't under control. I mean, yesterday, Texas, you know, Jesus, help us. It seems like he's not under control. And that's what everyone thought when a man who had healed people, walked on water and raised the dead, was beat within an inch of his life, pouring blood, and nailed to a cross, died and placed in a cave. Everybody thought, there is no God. He's not under control. He's not in control. Look, if anybody should not have had these things happen to him, it's this guy. And all of hell thought they had won. But three days passed, and Jesus resurrected from the dead. And what everyone thought was a loss ended up being the victory no one expected. And friend, that's where we are. We're in a place in this world where we're awaiting on the return of Christ. We're awaiting on him to put the world back to right, to restore all of heaven and all of earth, to take what the enemy has stolen and put it back together. We're waiting. And yes, there's evil and yes, there's wickedness. But God is faithful. Just like he was faithful to his son Jesus to resurrect him from the dead, he is faithful to us. And he will give us victory. Our role is simply to be obedient. Our role is to simply do what God has asked us to do. And as we end today, I want to just read the first six verses of chapter 37, Psalm, and then I'm going to pray. And after I pray, If there's anyone here today that 
you need to talk to someone, you need to pray with someone, Chris will be up here. He'd love to meet with you and pray with you. Listen to this from Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. You hear that? Don't be envious. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Can we read that line out loud together? Ready? One, two, three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the new day sun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you so much for uh, this psalm. And I know, Lord, that we want to we want to stand up for God. We want to, we want to like be out there. And Lord, we kind of take this mentality that that's somehow what you need when really what you're asking us to do is to be faithful to you, to do good, uh, to live a life that's faith in action. And so God, um, help us today as we go out of here, as we see things like the news story yesterday and we're so full of angst over the evil in our world. Help us to understand that we will not solve anything by adding more evil to it. And Lord, I do want to ask you, um, we're tired of the evil of our world. And Lord Jesus, with full faith, we believe that one day you're returning and that all of the heavens and the earth will be restored and every tear will be wiped away. And there will be no more death or sickness. We long for that day, Jesus. We long for victory. For the new heaven and the new earth. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. Have a blessed day and a wonderful week.